Warning, this very special episode of Midnight Movie Confessionals will contain spoilers of the movie Pink Floyd The Wall, starring Bob Geldof, with music by Pink Floyd. If you have not listened to the album or have seen this movie, my advice for you is to skip this review until the cr- until the very end where the final thoughts and the rating will happen without further ado the review will begin in three two one hello 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 ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to midnight movie confessionals this is a very special one because when you're hearing this you may not be hearing it on the day of but the day of recording there's this album I know of. I, I want to call it a concept album. I want to call it a prog opera. Because many people know about the, the rock operas of like The Who's Quadrophenia or The Who's Tommy or uh, what else was out there that was a rock opera. A Night of the Opera by Queen. People will know those ones all day long and say that they're great. But will people remember this one album from 40 years ago? I'd like to talk to you about Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yes, The Wall. The movie, coincidentally enough, did not come out in 1979, like the album did, but today is the reason why I am doing this review. The album came out 40 years ago today, on November 30th, 1979. The the movie itself, Pink Floyd The Wall, I do believe came out a little bit after I do believe it came out let's see came out in 1982 it was a bit of a live action animated hybrid musical drama film that was directed by Alan Parker with the cartoon animated segments made by Gerald Scarf Scarif? Scarf? I'll find that out later and I'll probably get corrected by whomever but this movie came out in 1982. It's a little bit younger than the other one, but it's starring Bob Geldof. Has music by Michael Kamen, Bob Ezrin, and of course, Pink Floyd. This movie is very, very different. I don't want to say it's the best movie of the 80s, because it just came out right when the 80s started kind of coming to full swing in... The 15th of, on the 15th of July in 1982. It was premiered at Cannes, no less, in the, on the 23rd of May of that year. But it's mostly driven by the music, and, it's, and it features very little dialogue. So it's definitely different. And what gives it more points is that it's the seventh animated feature to be presented in Dolby Stereo. And it's a bit of a cult film. It stars Bob Geldof as Pink Floyd. The person that's in it, more or less, like the main character. They they don't really give it much of a character, but that's what they decided to go with. The name Pink. Pink Floyd is the person's name. But it's kind of about Roger Waters kind of growing up without a father, more or less, and dealing with all these pent-up emotions that he's dealt with for most of his life as as an adult and as a child. And it's kind of... One of the reasons why he sounds so depressed. Like, it's one of the main reasons, like, we see him, like, we see the character motionless and expressionless while he's remembering his father. 
and he manages a crowd of fans at one of his concerts, and he's like some, and he is receiving them as a weird alter ego that's like a weird neo-Nazi sort of thing. But as time goes on, we kind of go through some weird flashbacks about how his father was killed during his infancy, that he never really met him. The af- like there's the aftermath and whatnot. We find out later that he found um, a scroll and some other relics from his service and his death when uh, his father was killed. That if we find out it was King George that wrote a letter to his mother about it, and uh, he gets caught more like his mother raises him alone. And what's funny is that as this, the movie kind of progresses with the music a little bit, there's time, like parts of it kind of split apart and they do their own thing, but like some of the music kind of is not really properly done in order like the album is because there's some other extras to the, al- the movie as well that aren't in this album, but I think we're included in the following album, The Final Cut. That was the last album with Roger Waters on the... with the band. But it's a different story for a different time. What I might do later on is I might do a review of the video EP of The Final Cut for you ladies and gentlemen that are listening to this podcast. But, again, that's a different time. If I do that, that'll be for a different time. That might be for when uh, The Final Cut... Uh, special like like 30 year anniversary happens or whatever it could be but uh yeah more or less he's finding himself deciding to just uh play around with some bullets that he found with his uh dad's scrolls and other relics that he decided to find he finds a bullet and he places it on track of a train that's coming close by that's going near a tunnel and the train passes with children that uh, appear out with like weird face masks, and uh, the headmaster of his school like apparently catches him doing it, and uh, he later finds himself getting caught writing poems and is humiliated by his teacher, which is kind of how the whole "Happiest Days of Our Lives," Pink Floyd's famous two songs put together, another "Brick in the Wall" part two. It's "Happiest Days of Our Lives" with that song put together. With the we don't need no education. That whole thing. I'm not going to sing that whole song for you, ladies and gentlemen. That's a little bit above. Not above me. Not below me, but just not. That's not this podcast. If I was singing the whole album, that would take a couple of sessions. That would definitely be split into two parts if I was to sing the whole thing front to back. And that would take a lot of time. But again, that was different. But what's funny is that he gets caught writing poems that are actually lyrics from Pink Floyd's Money from Dark Side of the Moon, which is a nice little nod to that older album, which at the time was nearing 10 years. And um, he imagines the oppressive school system where the children fall into a meat grinder and then they just decide to rise in rebellion and destroy the school and take the teacher away into an unknown fate as an adult he remembers his overprotective like uh pink remembers his overprotective mother now as he's kind of like flashing back and forth and whatnot and how he got married 
After a phone call, he finds his wife is cheating on him while he's on tour. Doesn't know what to do about it now. And he decides to wall himself up away from people. Metaphorically, he then turns to a willing groupie who manages to trick her way into his place, only to trash it into a fit of violence, tearing firing her out of the room, just making her take off. Like, a lot of it, like I mentioned for this movie, like I said, does follow the album itself, but parts of it, like, there's some songs that are misplaced. Not really misplaced, but they're kind of put into another part where it shouldn't actually be, but that's how it is. And, uh, he just decides to, um... Become, I guess he gets depressed, thinks about his wife, and gets feels trapped in the room. Destroys everything in the place, even his own guitars and all this. And decides to say his wall is complete, and he's saying fuck off to everyone. And the film returns to the first scene of sorts where it began with Goodbye Girl World. And then they kind of have it so he doesn't... He doesn't really leave his hotel room, but he starts to lose his, his mind. Metaphorically, he shaves all his, he shaves his body hair and... Watches the damn busters on TV. Uh, flashback shows him kind of searching through the trenches of a war, finding himself as an adult, which is weird. Like he spears in its station, yet he sees that the he wants people demanding the soldiers come back, and his manager. I guess I don't know where they're starting to knock on his door with the hotel manager and whatnot. And they're trying to get him out, like, snap out of this hallucinatory state or whatever he is. But what's funny is, I didn't mention who played his manager. This is played by the late, yet legendary Bob Hoskins. And he plays it very well. He's only in there for a few moments, but if you've ever seen him in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or seen him in Unleashed, or any other movie that you may think you may have known his voice from you'll definitely be like hey that's Bob Hoskins why does he look like this but then a paramedic injects him with some sort of um, anesthetic to help him get back up and this is when comfortably numb starting to play because they find him and like wondering what the fuck happened to you man like in the state he fantasizes himself as a dictator at a neo-nazi rally with the song in the flesh part two mind you and proceeds to attack the ethnic minorities in the crowd at this rally and decides to just go... He, he kind of starts to... I don't know. Go nuts. Literally. Because he's, so, like, he's going crazier and crazier. He descends into some absolute madness. Almost like a streetcar named Desire when Stella fall, like, just numbs herself into the madness. In a sense. He descends into the craziness... There's a bunch of uh, images of animated marching hammers. There's all kinds of weird things, and he starts to like stops the hallucination, begs everyone to like everything and everyone to stop. And this is where the movie kind of ends. It kind of ends in a weird way because uh, um. Like, the way it ends is, like, it ends with an animated sequence of sorts. And it ends in the sense of 
Like, okay, this is what happened. Now we're having this whole trial thing. That is, uh... Kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, but if I was to describe it, it's almost like this whole trial thing is almost like, um... It's animated in the sense where the person that's being, like, put on trial is guilty of all these things, but he isn't really guilty of anything. He's just guilty of being depressed and isolating himself. And, uh, more or less, that's just, that's kind of the thing about this movie. It's a very, very dark, dark movie in a sense. You may not want to watch this on any drugs. I've been told you need to take some drugs to kind of enjoy it a little bit more. I prefer to be sober or at least have a slurpee in my hand and drink, and drink that and just kind of like doze off after a little bit and just kind of like, whoa. Because when I first watched this movie, I did actually have nightmares for a couple of months, but that was just due to some weird things that were going on in my brain chemically, but that's a different story for a different time. I'm not talking about that. But what I will do is I will talk about the music, the soundtrack that this movie uh, goes on about. The soundtrack, like I mentioned, was made by Pink Floyd, but uh, it was never really released officially, apparently. Apparently the actual soundtrack was never really released. And there are some several changes, but what's funny is that It doesn't look like a lot of it was actually um, brought out. Because there's a few songs in here that are actually um, new to the soundtrack that weren't officially on the wall. There was When the Tigers Broke Free, which is technically part one and two, like all one spot together. And a few of the other songs are extended or remixed with uh, Galdoff singing. Goodbye Blue Skies remixed. The Happiest Days of Our Lives and all these other ones are kind of remixed. And there's a couple of new songs. Like I mentioned, there's What Shall We Do Now, which is definitely one that um, Roger Waters and the rest of the band kind of used during the Wall Tour, I think. Well, I know he used, when Roger Waters did the live show of the Wall, he used it. And, uh, it was a remake of, uh, it was a little bit more of a different part. It was a different, it was kind of, instead of Empty Spaces, if you've listened to the album, it was like that. It was a different version of it. And, um, there's a few things that were changed. Young Lust, One of My Turns, Don't Leave Me Now, and Another Breaker on the Wall Part 3 were changed. Is There Anybody Out There was kind of reworked a little bit and done up different. Um, what else was different? There's a few songs that were, um, done that were different. There's a, there's the moment of clarity part, which is different. And then there's the re-recorded version of Stop, which just has them, like, just kind of quiet and whatnot. And there's a little bit of more of a, with the last song that's, on the official album originally, it was re-recorded completely with a brass band and Welsh male voice choir, 
extended with the musical passes, similar to Southampton Dark from the final cut. But again, this album's soundtrack was officially never released. The actual album was released, mind you, and the album is roughly an hour. 20 and 42 minutes. It's around 80 minutes. A long album, but it's great. I'll say that. It was honestly one of the best I could ever think of to listen to. It's like there's def it's definitely in total it's it's a long album, but overall this is definitely this is definitely an album and movie you need to watch. You need to listen to the album to kind of get a little bit about the whole thing. You might not understand it a lot, but if you listen to the album, which I recommend you guys and gals do, if you can, I recommend you listen to it before watching this movie. If you don't like the album, you might not like the movie, but Stranger Things have happened where I've seen some people love the movie, but dislike the album. And then there are some, like, this one fellow on YouTube, I'm not mentioning him, but those who are in the know know of him and know what he uh, did and decided to just rip into a classic movie and album because I'm I'm able to do this because I can do whatever F I want. Sorry. But he decided to do that, and honestly, I don't care who you are, if you don't like the wall, then you do you. But don't try and not, like, monetize it. Don't try and go out of your way to make something out of it. No. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little, like, derailed here, and I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I've kind of, I've done that a lot lately, and that's not okay but what is okay is what i'm about to do for you now my final thoughts and my rating for this movie normally on a classic movie on an older film that isn't out that has that's been out for a while i kind of want to do instead of the out of 10 i want to do out of five now this is a cult classic this is very hard to find in some ways it may not be very hard to find to some, but I found this one was kind of hard to find on physical formats. I had to look through YouTube to find it for years, but I found it a couple years ago, bought it. I'm happy with it, but if you've not seen this movie before, I would maybe say if you've listened to the album, go check it out. Now, my rating on this one is a solid 4 out of 5. This is definitely a recommend to watch either sober or on drugs, whatever you do, as long as you're able to enjoy it and remember the experience. If that experience scars you, I am sorry. If you are sober and it scars you, again, I am sorry. But what I can do for you, ladies and gentlemen, is tell you that this album that came out in 1979, that had this movie come out a couple years later, remains very important to me. For the longest time, I used to, I, I still do love Pink Floyd. This is one of my favorite bands to listen to. This album, as well as Dark Side of the Moon, and Wish You Were Here, 
the division bell and animals still remain an important part to my life. This album kind of got me through a lot of high school on the positive side of things, while Dark Side of the Moon kind of got me to explore my mind a little bit. When I first heard that whole album of Wish You Were Here, I I cried at the end. But again, I'm sorry for derailing it. I just thought, let's talk about Pink Floyd a little bit before I wrapped it all up in a neat little bow here. But I will say that if I was to give this a rating on the actual scale that I normally give anything else, I'd give it a rebuild the wall out of 10. I'm sorry. I wanted to make a joke about it. I wanted to make a, a wall. I wanted to make a joke. I wanted to make a reference. I'd actually give this a, a solid 9 out of 10. 8 or a 9 out of 10. But my final thoughts on this album is... like Not, not this album. This movie! God, I need to do some album reviews, I guess. I think might do that in the future. Might be a possibility, but I don't know. I don't, I don't want to do new albums. I have to do something that's new to me. If I was to do that. But I don't think that'll happen. Because there's new music all the time nowadays. But again, I digress. I'm sorry. My final thought, like, if you have not seen this movie or have not listened to Pink Floyd before, don't step foot into The Wall if you've only heard Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. I would recommend listening to a Dark Side of the Moon to really get into the feeling of Pink Floyd, pardon me, and then maybe Metal. M-E-D-D-L-E, not metal, like some think. Think Metallica, without the I, like the extra L, except with the Licka. If that helps you, like metal, like meddling in affairs. But, I'm sorry. I should get off of here. Wrap this up completely. I will say, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this, please share this around. I need the views. I need the. I need to know that people are playing this, listening to this, enjoying it, what have you. But I will say, all in all, it was just another brick on the wall. All in all, it was just another brick in the wall. Now, go check it out if you can, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't, that's okay. Listen to the album, watch the movie, whatever you want to do, just do it. Just remember, all in all, it was just another brick in the wall. All in all, it was all just bricks in the wall. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, this is Scott Betson, signing out. Have a good night. And transmission.